Good morning, social media people. Welcome to the Security Squawk podcast. Somebody's beeping. My name is Brian Horning, and I am your co-host. I'm here with Ryan O'Hara, Reginald Andre, coming to you from an undisclosed location, <laughs> and Randy Bryan. What's up, gentlemen? How are you today? Good. Not much. How you doing, man? I can't complain. I had some really nice weather the last three or four days, and you know, it's getting crappy. So we always start off with the weather. So I figured I'd share. Um, so today, guys, we got I think I remember we got a comment on this last week, right? Mm-hmm. And at the very end of the show, uh, I think it was maybe Steven, uh, who's a, kind of a, a super fan at this point. Um, but he asked us about security and awareness training. So we figured that would be a good topic for today's show, kind of go the ins and outs of security awareness training. This is a very, very important thing for businesses to have their head around right because and and often overlooked right well often like why do we need to do this or Mm -hmm. hey it's a very much a box checking exercise because you know we're going to do it once a year we're going to have some cyber expert come in he's going to tell us everything in his head about cybersecurity, and we're going to remember every last word that he said and keep your business safe from cyber criminals that's not how it works. So we're going to go through that today. We're going to explain what we believe a cyber security awareness, security and awareness training should look like in a company of any size. It really should be done the same way throughout, whether you're a small business, whether you're one person, um, or whether you're 10,000 people, it should be done the same way. And what, yes, you should be doing training on yourself if you're a one-man show as crazy as you may think that that sounds. Um, so we're going to give you some ideas, some solutions. Drop your uh, questions in the comments. We will answer them live on the show as we go through this stuff. Um, but remember, Andre, from your undisclosed location, what's the fee? The fee is uh, free. All we ask is that you please subscribe uh, to whatever um, medium you're listening to and then also share Share it out to your friends, your uh, your bosses, HR managers, etc. Good point. Yeah, share it out to people in your company who we're going to talk about leadership today, and in, in on on this as part of what we're going to talk about. And if your company is not showing leadership around this, you start being the leader, right? Somebody has to step up and start being the leader. You don't have to be an IT person. You just have to be somebody who cares enough to do something about it. And maybe that'll spark off somebody who does have some authority in your company to actually start doing this the right way and investing in it. So share uh, this episode of the podcast with them. Absolutely. Yep. That's why we have this stuff out there. So we appreciate all the support, everyone. Keep keep sharing us out. Keep doing it. And uh, we'll keep bringing you the goods. So let's just jump right into it, guys. Um so I wanted to start this off by kind of defining what the hell we're really trying to do with security and awareness training program, right? And the way we look at it as cyber defenders is you have multiple layers that we look at that we have to protect. One of those layers, right, we call it the perimeter. And that's the stuff that you guys think is cybersecurity. It's the firewalls. It's all those things that we put in place that you think are protecting you from the bad guys, reality of it is, is we look at that as the front door. Like that's the front door. Like they can bang on that all day. You know, it can make a lot of noise. 
Um, but at the end of the day, if they don't have the key or we don't leave that door unlocked, they're probably not getting in through that way. And statistics show, and we're going to talk about that a little bit, is that cyber criminals are not getting in through that layer, right? And then there's other layers that you have to protect along the way. But to get right to it, the human layer is the layer that we look at as the closest to the stuff that we're trying to protect from bad things happening. Could be fires, floods, whatever. We need to protect assets of the business so this business can continue to run. Assets can be data. Assets can be systems. Assets can be, you know, whatever it is that you're using to make money in your business. Those are the things that we look at from a technical standpoint and say, okay, we need to protect this stuff, right? And the human layer is the closest layer to what we're trying to protect. And what we mean by that is, not a lot has to go wrong at that layer for them to be able to get to that data, right? So if you're coming in through the front door, through the perimeter, a lot of times you have to go through multiple other layers to achieve what you're trying to achieve, which is, you know, a hack. A lot of times with the human layer, they can just hit that layer, trick some employee and they're in and they got what they need. And that's why it's important that you take what we say today uh, and go implement it in your business as quickly as possible. And we're and even if you think you're doing it today, we're going to give you tips to make sure you're doing it right. Um, so this is an important episode. This is probably up there with when we did MFA. So um, so let's get into it. So it, I it, I kind of define for everybody what the human layer is and and kind of what what how we're going to talk about it today. So people have a foundational understanding of like what the hell are they talking about when they keep saying human layer, right? So. It's you. It's you're the employee. You're sitting there at your desk. You get an email. You get a message. You get a Facebook message because you're at lunch and you're checking your Facebook and you, and you see this crazy link. What do you do, right? How do you know whether you're supposed to click on that, if you're supposed to reply to it? Um, I mean, I'm seeing phishing emails coming in that look like they're encrypted messages and they're not. And they're coming from legitimate sources where you think that that person you know, would be sending you an encrypted message. Um, but their email got hacked. The, the company or the hackers know that this company typically sends encrypted messages. So let's craft up a fake message that looks like it's an encrypted message and send it to this all this person's contacts. This is like real stuff that's happening out there today, guys. So let's just talk about how does the human layer fit into the whole picture here, guys. And, you know, Randy, you threw some statistics at me. What what goes on at this human layer in terms of cyber attacks? Like, let's help people unpack. Let's unpack that and help people understand, like, what are the different things that happen at this layer when employees click on the wrong thing or do the wrong thing? I mean, I can definitely get the conversation started because there's so there's so much that can happen at this level. I mean, humans are definitely the weakest link um, in the chain, if you will. Um, because we're susceptible to mistakes, we're susceptible to judgment calls, we're susceptible to, you know, being angry at somebody or being sad over, you know, some kind of loss or, you know, upset with an employee. There's a lot of emotions that humans bring into the mix. And the thing with, with hackers, with people who are trying to get our money and our data, ultimately, you know, to get money, they do this because they prey on those human weaknesses, if you will. Um, and, you know, 
they they'll send uh, an email. Um, they'll send uh, a text. The more information that they have, the better, um, you know, the better they will craft their message and the more likely you are to uh, to fall for it. And I just want to throw this out. It's always the CEOs who fall for it. You know, we do fish tests um, over and over for companies. And almost always it's the CEO that that clicks on that thing. They're busy. You know, they, they're they're in tune to their company. You know, they get an email that says we tried to give you a check and you weren't there. What's what the heck? Click here to open up a picture of it, you know, or whatever. Um, and and they uh, and they do it. So this is that level that we have to if we can if we can increase the security in this level, we can increase the security in the entire in the entire company. I, uh, the statistics around 90 90 percent or more of all initial tax start with email, which means there's there's a human on the other end that's susceptible to uh, to that. And and as cybersecurity professionals too, this is this is the layer that that we have very little control over. We we can influence people, but we can't control them. We're not we're not sitting on their shoulder when they're when they're making that decision whether or not to click on that or to enter that information there, which makes it a challenge. So with all that security that we can put on the perimeter, if they open the front door and let them in. You know, that's the problem. Yep. And if it starts from the top where the CEO is not, you know, paying attention or or doesn't care, it's only going to trickle down to the, the executive team and then to the to the everyday worker, and everything is out the window there. And and with staffing issues and and everything that we're going through now as well, I mean, you know, timelines are tighter, pressures higher. Um, people have less time to think about these things. So really. That's where security awareness training comes in. That's that's the only way we can kind of get into the back of people's minds and start planting these seeds. I mean, I, I've talked to people before where you know they they weren't real happy about having to do training. You know, I I, I got yep. done with school years ago. I don't want to do this. But then you know, you talk to them a couple of weeks later, and it's like you know, I, I I do things differently now. I mean, I didn't I didn't even think I was paying that close attention. But now when I look at this email, you know, I got this little voice in the back of my head from one of those trainings saying, "Oh, hey, you need to look at this." this detail in this email and see if that's legit. So it does work. Yeah. You know, to quote uh, Andre, I've heard Andre um, say, say things before and I like to quote um, Andre and um, now you made me lose my train of thought. So I'll come back to that in just a second. Nice. Nice. Stick with, with COVID, I think, the last couple of days. So you I'll come back to it. Your, yeah. You need to get your test. So anyway, a couple of statistics uh, from the FBI um, and and I guess the biggest thing that I want people to understand is we're not here kind of talking about ransomware. We like to talk about ransomware on this show, but don't think of this as like every time your employee clicks on something or does something that they shouldn't, that it leads to ransomware. It most of the time doesn't ransomware is, you know, according to the FBI ransomware is only about, uh, 1% of the cybercrime losses that actually happen to businesses when it comes to cyber attacks. The big thing, the big huge thing is, is business email compromise. And we're going to dive into this a little bit before we kind of move on, but really want people to understand like what happens when these hackers get access to your employees' emails and the things that they're, they're able to do. So if you look at the two statistics between business email compromise and spoofing, which is basically I'm using 
a, a, a fake domain or I'm actually using your employees accounts to spoof your your contacts, your customers, your partners. That totals over two point one billion dollars in losses. That's over 40 percent of all the crime that happens to businesses. Forty percent of it is these two things that are basically revolve around email and people just sitting on your email and learning about how you conduct business, who you who you send money to, who you receive money from to figure out if there's a way that they can craft a message to make the money go from your account or your partner's account or your vendor's account to their account, right? And it's just tricking them with a routing number and a banking number and a reason to send that money. And as reasons we've already highlighted, people are busy, things need to get done, bills need to be paid, people want to get their job done, it's Friday, they want to go to the shore, wherever they're going on vacation, right? They just want to get it done so they don't take a minute to think, is this legitimate? Is this a new account number? Do we have a process for, you know, identifying new account numbers, right? When, you know, maybe one of the things that you might do in your business is you have a way for people to enter payment information and it has to go through certain checks. Like you initially set up somebody with the payment information and that can't change unless it goes through a process of checks. One person shouldn't be able to redirect where a vendor's payment goes because they got an email that said, hey, you know, send it here now, don't send it here. Um, there should be a process around why that happened. So I just wanted to kind of paint the picture for like what happens when these things happen. But I see it across industry, guys, and I don't know if you have any stories around this, but like I see it a lot in the, in the real estate industry with mortgage companies and title companies and real estate agents where they just sit on their email and they learn mm -hmm. and they're like, okay, this is how they transact. This is what the invoices look like. And they make basically duplicate copies of all that stuff with their information on it. So what do you guys, uh, what do you guys know about this stuff? I mean, needing to have this awareness is so critical. Like um, just at the conference we were at last week, uh, somebody was telling a story where they, they had this, this issue happen with, with uh, there was a prospect and it, it ended up happening two more times after that first time, no matter what they did as far as trying to advise them, like, Hey, you, you need to put the money in to investigate this and find out, you know, if they're still in your system, how they got in, if they're still there and they just didn't see the value. And it was, oh, you know, we made a mistake. We're going to learn from it. Not understanding the big picture. They didn't understand what they needed to do. And then they had to get hit two more times uh, before they finally, you know, ponied up the money to, to have somebody, a professional get in there and find out. Yeah. Somebody's been sitting on our email for like a year. You know, you need you need to understand the big picture in order to know how to protect yourself and what things you need to do. Yeah. I have a, a great story as we start to talk about culture and how this has to stop from the top down, where we had a we have a client, we're doing all the security and proactive measures that we should be doing and, and that we are doing, and they get an invoice from the leasing company CBRE who they're leasing from, they're probably paying $3,500 a month in rent. And when they get suspicious because the email says it has the, the logo, it has the rent amount, it has the same description that they're used to paying. And now they're saying, we're changing our bank accounts. We need you to start wiring the money to this routing and account number. But then when they started to investigate more, they realized that this uh, hacker purchased the domain cbree.us. And again, we had the filtering systems, we have everything in place, but an alert employee was like, 
you know what, let me just go ahead and call them, call downstairs and just make sure this was them because this, you know, just something just didn't sit right. But the signature of the email of the person who normally takes care of accounting, all of that was legit. And luckily they were able to call and, and verify that this was, this was wrong, this was bad. And then they didn't send the money. Yeah, a minute ago, Brian, you mentioned that they get, they don't just come in and give ransomware. They get in, they watch your system and watch what's going on. We've seen customers similar to what uh, Andre was just saying, which by the way, that's what I was gonna say, Andre, I credit you with saying, create a culture of cybersecurity. Uh, that and 2022 is the year of MFA. Those are my two quotes I give to Andre right there. Um, but, um, you know, you were mentioning there in your email, we had a customer who had something similar um, where somebody just created a shadow domain um, and they probably picked it from another, you know, another client that was getting the uh, the invoices from from company number one. And they just added like a tiny little letter or changed a tiny little letter. And then we're sending out invoice requests. And the uh, office manager got one of these invoice requests. They're a construction company. They pay, you know, it's nothing to pay, you know, $100,000 a day in, in invoices. That one looked a little off. And she actually called and verified. Um, and it was it could have been a potentially a really big mess. But they're, they're sneaky. Um, they're really sneaky. And you really have to watch for that. And that's where having something, you know, important, like a policy in place is really important. You know, having, you know, if, if it, it involves transacting money, you need to have like an eyeball to eyeball policy to, to confirm and, and make sure that that's valid. But, you know, as a general rule, like, you know, when you're looking at something, if you ever get that weird suspicious feeling, like something just isn't quite right about this, double check that stuff. You know, don't just call the phone number that's in the email, you know, verify it with a website. Um, you know, don't just hit reply, you know, maybe go, go a different route. Um, but you know, the, the, the days of those emails coming in full of misspellings and broken English, those are long gone. They still happen, but you know, <laughs> if you fall for, um, I, I always say with that, that we've made the joke for years, if they ever get proper English, we're going to be in big trouble. And then I always mm -hmm. say, well, the time's here now. Right. So, yeah. yeah. They have Grammarly now, right? <laughs> right, no, right. You can even use those websites like Copy AI that, you know, the, 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 they do perfect. Like I use that for my social media sometimes when I kind of like I want something to do creatively. I use one of those websites. So <laughs> when great. IT guys are using it to, to fix their English so it makes sense to, to other people, you know, they, they were really in trouble. That is funny. So, yeah, I mean, basically the FBI is, is recommending a lot of what we're talking about here is make sure you have policies in place. Right. But again, and, and this goes into kind of like our next point that we wanted to talk about. And that's, you know, policies and leadership and how you actually get this to happen. We mentioned culture of cybersecurity, which that's mine, Randy, all day. Um, so, um, you know, you got to create that culture and the culture isn't something that is created from the ground up. I mean, you might get lucky and it might happen in your company that way, but most companies, when they build a culture, it's got to be top down. It's got to mm -hmm. be implemented and it's got to be something driven by leadership. This is why the SEC is absolutely requiring publicly traded companies to report on what they are being told about cybersecurity on a quarterly basis because <clears throat> they're not seeing the, the proactive action by the C-level management in these organizations. So now they're putting it on the board to make sure that their management is actually paying attention to it, is getting the information 
that they need. Because, look, it's easy to bury your head in the sand and pretend like there's nothing going on. But there's a hell of a lot going on. So, you know, let's talk about like, okay, great, Brian. You told me that I need to be a leader when it comes to cybersecurity. And one of those ways is making sure my company has a, has a security and awareness training program. So what would you guys say? And we'll go around the horn here. We'll start with Ryan and then Andre and then Randy. Um, what should be included in a cyber security training program in your eyes? Like how should it, well, maybe what should the cadence be? What should the content be? What are things that you're seeing in your companies that are effective with, for this stuff? First and foremost, accountability, which I know isn't exactly what you were getting to, getting at. But what what I see a lot is is we will provide this type of service uh, and people use it to check a box on an insurance application or something like that. Um, but then they don't enforce it. They don't hold their employees accountable. So these these trainings are offered, but nobody looks at them uh, no, because nobody feels that they have to. So having that accountability requiring, uh, and, and most of these tools have the ability for uh, a manager, uh, you know, a, a leader in the company to be able to see that people are taking these things and taking the quizzes and, and, and following this stuff. Uh, so accountability to me is, is the, the biggest one. I, you know, you could have the crappiest curriculum in the world, but if you're holding your employees accountable, it's still better than nothing at all. Yeah. And, and also making it part of um, the reviews is another thing where like when you, if you, the employer does like quarterly reviews or, you know, annual reviews, there's a gaming fine system that you can do. So it's, it's essentially a point system that tells if you're actually doing it or not. And we have one customer where they do gift cards. So at the end of the month, whoever has the highest you know, number gets the $25 Starbucks. And it's just a way of just encouraging the employees to, to watch the videos and not just watch the videos, go for a coffee break and come back and then, you know, guess the right answer. Yeah, that that's a, that's great. What you said about the gamified, it would be so awesome if there was a automated gamified where we could preload the prizes and then let the automation uh, take care of it. I was going to say, Brian, um, C-level buy-in. I know, right? Right. You're a fucking genius here. Um, <laughs> C-level buy-in um, is uh, you need it so bad. I know that you're talking about people being a leader, and if if they can and they start that at their company, that's great. But it's really, it really, really helps to have C-level buy-in, and then you really, really need a champion at at the company who is is going to make sure that people are aware of it. They're taking their tests, or they're watching their videos, or this or that, helping people when their scores are low to know how to remediate and things like that. But that, but that on-site person for the company or the location who's a champion for this, who's making sure um, that it happens. Otherwise it's, if you don't get the champion, then it's just the IT company, you know, like Charlie Brown's teacher, wah, 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 just talking all the time. Or if you don't get C-level um, then, you know, the, the employee, that's the champion. No one's going to listen to them. And, and I've just seen it very successful when that champion says, hey, look, y'all, the CEO says we have to do this. You have to have this done by blah, 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 X, Y, Z, and, you know, no ifs, ands, or buts. So that's my two cents. And, and the, the, the backdoor issue here, too, is, is so if a company has security awareness training and they're not enforcing it and their employees are not participating in it and they did just check that box with insurance – it's totally within the realm of possibility because of the tracking available in these tools that 
that insurance company is going to look at this if you have a, an issue and need to make a claim down the road. And you know they can go, hey, you, you check the box, but nobody's taking this stuff. So you're not actually doing security awareness training. You're not fulfilling this, this obligation. So that could come back to bite you. Yeah, another, that's a great point because if you're not in a compliance-driven industry, a lot of business owners don't understand that compliance is a three-legged stool. You have to have your policies, you have to have your procedures, and you have to have your evidence to back up what you're mm -hmm. saying in those policies and procedures. If you don't have that, and insurance companies are very well versed in in compliance, they will easily come back at you and say, "Well, you don't have any evidence that you were doing a security and awareness training program." So, in effect, you're not doing one, even though you might have been doing one. You're just not recording it. You have no way to record it, um, to to track it. And I guess the other thing too is, and and this one's kind of important to me, and I've said it before on the show, but. The most effective security awareness training programs are not done once a year, once a quarter, you know, twice a year. They're delivered every week, right? And you can do this in small chunks where you're giving small bits of information, ha have a quiz or some way to check for the comprehension of the content. Um, and then just at a high level, back that up with phishing testing, test your employees, send them fake phishing emails that you're in control of that, you know, you let through the firewall or the, you know, the, the anti-spam controls that you might have on your email um, and let them things get through, get to the users, see how they react to them um, and see if your training and awareness education is actually having an impact on what your ind these individuals do. Those two things, the quizzes and the fake phishing, are the ways that you're going to be able to improve as an organization. Otherwise, you're just sending out videos and hoping that mm -hmm. you know people are getting it. These are the ways that you can test it. You, we've seen it where we've talked to the entire company about you know the results of what we found. And you can also break it down to an individual level where maybe one or two people in your organization just don't understand, you know, what they're what they're looking at or what they need to be looking at. Um, so maybe you ramp up their training to where they're getting videos more than once a week, or they're getting specific videos for the things mm -hmm. that they're falling for. Um, really tailoring the content to solving the issues that you're picking up as you are doing all this stuff. That's the most effective way to do this. So. You know, box checking exercises don't work. They usually don't pass the muster in compliance driven industries. Um, so that's how I would do it in any company. That's how we do it in our own company and any company that comes on as a client of ours. That's exactly how we would roll it out for them. And the training should be flexible, too. I mean, you, you can't set an agenda for a whole year in advance and expect it to be relevant when you get down to the end of the to the end of the year. Um, yep. the, the, the threat vectors change on a regular basis. You know, we see spikes in certain types of attacks uh, throughout the year. You need to be flexible and, and, and hit those things as they're relevant. Uh, so people are, are it's fresh in their minds and they know what to look for. So go ahead. Yeah. Also, one more thing is making this um, making this relevant to every department. So not just doing the videos for the entire company. So for example, if you have a marketing team, they either you create a video or the department head creates a video for all of them to watch or or you know when they do their meetings to say this you should not be sharing your LinkedIn passwords or if you go on LinkedIn or or one of the social media sites and 
it's asking you to type in, you know, something like making it re relevant. Um, if it's construction or if it's finance and they're paying invoices, if someone is asking you to to change uh, the accounting number, you, your procedure is to call. Call that person on the phone and make sure that it was Sarah that sent it. So that's another thing that we found useful. So that way they're just not watching a video that's like sometimes nothing to do with what they do every day. So just kind of want to touch on, we've, we've touched on it a little bit, but moving into kind of the last topic we wanted to cover today, and that's what are what are some of the ways that we see companies successfully roll this out? What are some ideas that we can give executives or employees, depending on how it's working in your company? Um, you know, we're we're in the process of helping a company with an acquisition and the company that they're acquiring, you know, in my month or so of kind of asking questions and getting to know what they have and what the culture is like there, it's evident that there's more of a middle management buy-in to this stuff than there is upper management. Um, so let's kind of talk about those different scenarios, those situations. Um, you know, how do we get this em em employed throughout an organization? Yes, it, it should start from the top down, but what if it can't start from the top down because the top just doesn't get it yet? And it's not that they won't ever get it. It's just right now, this doesn't seem to be a huge problem to them because they have a million other things that they got to worry about, mainly growing the company or, you know, what have you. So um, how do we get buy-in from C-level execs, you know, being that, you know, maybe the rest of the organization or maybe an IT director sees value in doing this stuff? Um, but we don't have buy-in from the people that are making the decisions. I, I think it's like what we talked about last week, Brian. They, they need to put together, the, whether it's the IT person, um, whether it's you know, in-house or maybe it's a professional like us, put together a presentation, get it to the C-level people, make them aware of the risk that's out there. I think once they get to that point, where that risk light bulb goes off, if you will, then they're more likely to to buy into this. And when they see that, you know, 92% of all attacks start via email, which means they're going after that human element to get their foot in the door. When they see that and they see all the risk, um, then they're more likely to uh, to buy into it. I think sharing some stories too. So if you do have some some buy-in someplace in the chain, like middle management, like you, you described, you know, usually you're going to have some conversations with these folks and you're going to get some feedback of, you know, hey, I, I saw this, you know, this in my email. And had I not you know, seen this in the, in the training, I, I would have clicked on it. I would have known better. And then using those examples when you're having these reviews with the with the C-level folks about what you've been doing, you know, hey, we, we had this feedback from this person. This very well could have happened. You know, this this is the, the, the worst case scenario if they would have clicked on this and, and given their credentials. But because of this this training, you know that that saved them and kind of getting their buy-in a little bit uh, through social proof. Yeah, I think you know for for me the way I look at this sometimes too is that if you do have buy-in somewhere down the chain, you really need to figure out you know what makes that C-level person tick. So if you have to get buy-in from your CEO or your CFO, right, really understand what's important to them 
within the company in the grand scheme of the success of the organization because everybody's interests are a little bit different the ceo and the cfo even though they're at the same level have different interests cfos usually care about profitability and revenue and how things are working and is my investment in my it actually worthwhile is it you know so these are the things that you can bring to the table for a cfo and show value of of a program like this and what it will do for the organization um, in terms of reducing the risk of something negative happening ceos are a little bit different than cfos in my opinion ceos you want to talk to them you know they're going to be concerned about having to go if they have a board most mid large companies do you know going to them and explaining to them what happened and and potentially you know losing their job as a result of of this um the other thing too is is you know embarrassing headlines and you know one thing i've learned about business and ceos is once you get to a certain level these guys are all running together they all go to the same events. They all, you know, golf on the same golf courses. And nobody wants to walk into the country club the victim of a cyber attack. And that's a real thing. If you think I'm just, you know, making this shit up, I'm not. Like, CEOs do not want to walk into the cigar club, you know, the, the, the country club, and have other CEOs who they respect and are their peers and look at them and know that they didn't do everything that they could do uh, to protect a, from them from a cyber attack. Now, that being said, there's a lot of companies that are susceptible to this stuff and don't know it. Um, and there will be CEOs that walk into country clubs, very embarrassed in front of their peers. And then their friends will probably walk in at some point too, because like we say, it's not a matter of if, but matter of when. So um, I'm going to, you guys want to add anything? Cause I got, we got a, a question here that we I want to unpack a little bit and it's going to take us a few minutes. Um, but Julie asks, um, businesses have the means to be so much better equipped, depends, um, to mitigate and manage cybersecurity issues. So what can the average person do to protect themselves against spoofing and hacking? It's overwhelming and frightening to get so many emails in my inbox like this. So um, I, I don't know, Julie. I don't know if any, anybody here does. Um, I don't know if she's asking about like personal accounts that she's getting all of these from, but from, a, I guess, from a purely technical standpoint, um, I mean, to my knowledge, I don't know because I don't use it, but I think that Gmail and most of like the decent mail services have some kind of, <clears throat> you know, advanced email protection in place. Am I, am I incorrect on that or? Yeah, but you also have to be careful and you can't trust that stuff. I mean, even the best stuff out there, you know, it's 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 a constant shell game of, of algorithm adjustments where things get through that shouldn't get through and things get blocked that shouldn't get blocked. So I, I think, you know, my general advice would be you kind of have to look at everything that comes in via email with a little bit of skepticism. Um, and, you know, if it takes you a couple extra seconds to do a verification, then, then do it. I mean, sometimes, like I said, look at the, the email. Don't call the phone number that's in the email. Call the phone number that's on the website if you need to, you know, if it is something exactly. that looks legit, you know, just cross check and 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 verify. And, and then that's going to be that's going to be something that goes a long way. Yeah. So she did, she did. Julie did write in and say, yes, personal email. So I guess the first thing I would say to that before Andre goes is just make sure you're using something like a Gmail for personal email. I don't even think unless AOL, you probably have to go in somewhere and turn it on or pay extra for it. 
Um, but I know back when I had an AOL account 20 years yeah. ago, you know, spam got through. I mean, I don't know what they're doing today. Gmail, in my opinion, does a really good job. I, I don't know of like Yahoo Mail and stuff like that. I don't know how good those are. But if I'm using a personal email, I'm probably going to go with Gmail. And if I have a company, I'm going to make sure that I have uh, advanced um, email filtering protection on my on my email. Now, you can't to my knowledge, you can't put that in front of like a personal Gmail or email account. Right. An email filter. I mean, right? you, could, you could do anything where there's a will, there's a way, but I don't think correct. it's really available. Yeah, correct. Um, economically feasible. Yeah. She says she's using Yahoo. Do you guys have any insight yeah. on Yahoo personal email accounts? I would leave it. Yeah, I would go to Gmail yeah. and I would stop using Yahoo because Yahoo is probably letting all this stuff come oh. through. Um, and Gmail will, does a really good job of, of stopping that stuff. It, it's also kind of the, you know, the, the situation you have with personal email, though, too. I mean, you you use that to sign up for a bunch of stuff. So eventually that address is going to be out there in such a degree that you're, you're just bound to get a bunch of stuff. And this brings um, up a, a great thought and point. This is why businesses should not allow access to personal email accounts from within inside their company and on their corporate devices, because you might have an employee like Julie who has a Yahoo account who admittedly here says, I get tons of this crap in my inbox. Now, if you're not proactively blocking access to Ymail or Yahoo Mail or all these personal accounts, somebody could click on one of these things while they're working in your business because you're not stopping it. A, you're not training on it to tell them why they shouldn't be doing this. So, you know, you, you're probably not blocking it either from even letting them get to it. Um, and if you are, and you're not explaining to them why they shouldn't be doing it, then they're, then that doesn't create a culture of awareness and cybersecurity that pisses an employee off and says, oh, my boss just blocks us from getting our personal email. And what we've seen is they figure out ways to get around your box. They put VPNs on the machine or they do other crazy stuff to try to get to their, to their Ymail because they don't understand why they can't get to it. Yeah. Also on the okay. Yeah, but yeah, businesses that's a big thing right there, like that I just brought up. Like that, like businesses allowing access to these personal accounts. This is and, and Julie did a great job of highlighting, like, hey, I get a lot of this crap in my personal account, but we know businesses don't block this stuff. Like we go in and it's not something that they're thinking about doing, is, is blocking access to these different things. It's the same reason you should be blocking. Google Drive, if your business doesn't have a, a need to use Google Drive or Dropbox or any of those file sharing services, you need to be blocking access to those because we've seen it where employees have accessed those and gotten malware. This happened at a hospital that I'm aware of. And they also steal your information before they quit and go start their own business using these services. Happens all the time where they're offloading gigabytes and gigabytes of your proprietary data so they get a head start when they go start their business. Anything else you guys want to add? Uh, yeah, on the personal side for Julie, um, you could also consider doing like a throwaway email. So if you're at, you know, JCPenney or one of those type of stores and they need your email address, give them a throwaway email. But your mortgage company, your water bill, let that be a separate one. So at least you can kind of not get them bombarded and you're more um, 
uh, less risk. Although yeah. we know that these yeah. companies, what will happen is they do get a data breach. All of these emails uh, get compromised and they don't care. And, you know, hey, sorry about that. So. And you know to, to take that email, that throwaway email, and, and look at everything in that email account with a grain of salt. So that, that might be your option right there. Keep keep the existing Yahoo address for that throwaway account. Create a new uh, new account with Gmail and, and use that going forward. Wow, yeah. you're bringing back up old times, man. I, I literally have a junk email account. I have one that I use for every day. Then I have one I used to sign up for stuff, uh, mm -hmm. for all my personal stuff. But I was going to add to, uh, to Julie um, – Yesterday, I received two emails, one from a CEO and one from an employee that said, are these emails legit? Mm -hmm. And if you just look down in the email, you could see that they were from, you know, they're saying they're from FedEx or whatever it was. But if you look down who it's really from, it's a it's a throwaway domain. So that's one way to look. Who's it from? Is it really the domain uh, Two, um, hover over the links without clicking them? And your browser will bring up where it's going to go. And, you know, if the email says FedEx.com, you hover over a link and it's like Google Drive or FedEx3.com or some kind of crap like that, um, then you know not to, uh, you know, not to click on it. Um, that's that's the things. And, and then finally, I would say, yeah, get away from definitely get away from Yahoo. You can even use your Gmail if you pay for a Yahoo premium or whatever to pull your Yahoo into Gmail and Gmail will filter out the spam out of your Yahoo. And you, then you send and receive from Gmail, but that's not for uh, our you're, podcast. You're, I, I don't you even know if I can do that. So, boom. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, and, and, you know, to wrap up guys, just, you know, it's just this whole thing with, with just email in general that we, we need people to understand that this is the biggest vector and the reason that you're going to, have to deal with something down the road. Um, so protect it, learn how to protect it, um, learn why you should not allow access to personal emails and things like that. But this is all part of security and awareness training. You implement this today, by this time next year, your employees and you will have 52 new modules or new lessons that you learned uh, over the course of a year, 52 new things that you're smarter about around this stuff. Um, if you just start today. So that's all we ask is if you listen to the show, um, if you watch us live, just start a training and awareness campaign in your organization as soon as possible. If you can start today, all companies like ours, um, we all have a solution that we can implement fairly quickly. What do you say, guys, like, mm -hmm. you know, for companies? Um, these platforms are out there. They're available. Um, you can do a Google search and you can find different vendors that offer similar programs laid out the way that we've described them today. So Julie says, thank you, guys. I wish there was a high school requirement to teach us about how to protect ourselves personally. You know, that's a long way off. Right. We're just starting to get like financial literacy in schools um, instead of like, you know, dissecting frogs. Um, you know, because I use what I learned in dissecting frogs every day. Um, so, you know, hopefully the kids will start learning how to protect themselves online. I know that from a, from a privacy and, and security standpoint, that's a big thing in schools today, but I think they probably only get some guy to talk about it like once a year. And I think it should be part of the curriculum. If they're going to teach mm -hmm. them how to use computers, they need to teach them how to use them safely. 
Um, I, I, I think that's a great point because you know one of the, the things that I hear sometimes is, is that this stuff is just common sense. And, and people should react that way. It's not for a lot of people. You know, for some people, maybe it is, but it's not going to be common sense until we have these things in place to teach people what to look for. And so that's what the training yeah. is, is for. I've been hearing for 20 years that they're not going to need IT guys in the future because every kid's going to know how to do this stuff. Well, no, there's a big difference between being able to drive a car and keep a car running. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's why there's mechanics in the world and, you know, it's going to be no different in this business. Kids are not going to want to go in depth and learn cybersecurity and learn how to make computers work. They just want to use them. Um, you know, I don't know how to work on a car. I know how to drive it, you know, and I, and I'll never, you know, I used to try to learn how to fix my car, but I gave up after I broke it worse, <laughs> worse than it needed when I originally had the problem. So, I leave that to the professionals and so should everybody else when it comes to especially cybersecurity. Um, the days of, you know, maybe business owners being able to get away with setting up their own networks, running their stuff on their own for 10 or 15 years. Um, yeah, you can do it, but you're going to be running a very, very high risk to a cyber attack because you probably aren't going to know what needs to be known in order to secure this stuff. So. That's it for me, guys. What else you want to add before we wrap it up? We good? Well, uh, last year around this time, we were talking about predictions, and you said it's Memorial Day weekend, and there's going to be a there's something's going to happen. All the IT guys are going to be on vacation, and and no one's paying attention. And we got JBS meet um, happen. So, what's your prediction this year? Is it uh, slowing down, or you're go- we're going to see something big with Conti, or or what was it? The black, what was the other one? Black bastard. The black are they going to? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were like they were like a flash in the pan. Um, so here's what I'm saying. Here's I'll just give you the breakdown because I do kind of I do study this from a behavioral standpoint. I would say, um, and here's kind of what I'm saying. You guys know we saw the ups, uptick, you know, probably two or three weeks ago. I'm sure these companies are still dealing with those attacks because they were very large. And, you know, these it takes a while, you know, and, and these cyber criminals have to dedicate resources to this. So they can't be everywhere and they can't be attacking everybody all the time. Right. Um, it takes usually about two or three weeks for them when they have a bunch of hits like like we saw on the schools and you know forget all the other cyber attacks that happened um but there were you know at least a half a dozen that made the news and we know that there's plenty more uh where that came from in the private business so i just think that we are in a lull right now and when i see a lull i get concerned there he is um He's in a different, oh no, he's not in a different spot. He's just seated chair now. Um, but I think there's a lull right now. And when I see a lull, I get concerned. Um, there will definitely be cyber attacks over the Memorial Day weekend. Um, whether they're big enough to make the news, to kind of break through, you know, everything else that's going on in the world, especially with the crazy stock market and things going on in Europe and You know, God knows what else is coming out in terms of, you know, the next pandemic or at least what people want to overreact to. Uh, I just think there's a lot of overreaction in the mainstream media right now to different things. It would have to be a very, very large attack on a very large entity to break through that noise. 
Um, but I definitely think that on next week's show, we're going to have a slew of things to talk about. Um, and that's going to be the beginning of the disclosures because we're going to come Monday's a holiday. So we're not going to hear about a lot of stuff on Monday. Um, we're going to start hearing about it on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then to the, in, into, you know, the first and second week of June as these various companies start to disclose, you know, that they got hit. Um, but cyber defenders need to know that cyber attackers love to attack over a three day weekend. They think less eyes are on the systems. And this is why these things go down the way that they go down because they feel like they can just get more done uh, in terms of movement without being detected when, you know, everybody's, you know, on vacation out doing what they do. And, you know, this is why it's important to have a companies, companies like ours watching over your stuff on the weekend and making sure the bad stuff's not happening and making sure you have a way to stop it um, when it does happen. So, and, and we've had a couple stories over the last couple of weeks as well that, like, I think we, we talked about. This, this kind of feels like somebody's testing out a new attack vector. There's so many attack vectors yeah. out there right now. I mean, you're right. Um, you know, and you just see a lot of these advanced persistent threat groups using old tools that are coming back better than ever. TrickBot's back. Emotet is, is being used, you know, significantly right now. Um, you know, the fact that TripBot, TripBot is back and it's effective and it's being used in cyber attacks right now should be cause for concern for a lot of companies because Microsoft and the U.S. government thought they took that stuff down and it's, it's not down. It's back and it's better than ever. So, cool. Is that it? We done? <laughs> we done? Randy, you don't have a prediction? <laughs> Um, yes. Well, yes and no. Uh, my prediction is, um, that we're seeing more and more attacks on, uh, small and medium businesses. Um, and we're going to see that level, that area continue to grow. Um, so bottom line, three day weekend, you know, most common time for attacks, literally Friday at five o'clock, um, or at the beginning of a long weekend. So yeah, it's, I mean, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not making a prediction here, but I am waiting for I am waiting for the massive attack on a cloud environment. <laughs> if that happens this, this week, you're, you're not making a prediction, but you're kind of making a prediction. <laughs> well, I'm just telling you what I'm seeing. You're, from, you're either going to get interviewed next week or get hauled off to jail. Like this guy knows. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm just looking at the data, and the data is telling me that they're attacking cloud environments yep. heavily. They're after it because everybody's moved to the cloud. Right. Like everybody thought everybody moved to the cloud. Well, COVID came, and everybody moved to the cloud in some way, shape, yep. or form. And quite frankly, you know, in our business, guys, we used to take we used to take over companies that had internal infrastructure in offices. And now clients are starting to come to us and they're already in Azure or somewhere like that. And what we're seeing is when we unpack what they bought, whether they bought it on their own because they thought they were being slick or whether their IT company sold it to them, you know, the information on that Microsoft gives out for this stuff is public. They think like, 
hey, I can get I can get on I can get Exchange email for three bucks a month with Exchange Online. Well, guess what? Exchange Online has no security, none, and like you can't even plug in the security tools that we need to make sure that your business is being monitored and secured properly with these three dollar you know, use our mailboxes that they sell, right? And we're coming into these situations where we're looking at their Azure environment and they set it up the cheapest way that they possibly could get it set up from a licensing standpoint. But what they didn't realize is they also hamstring themselves on the visibility and how, how well they can secure and back up their data. And now they have this huge problem where these cyber criminals are going to figure this out and they're going to go in and they're going to wipe out Office 365 environments, including email, including OneDrive, including SharePoint. And they're going to hold you for ransom because they know you didn't back that stuff up either. And that's the world we're going to be living in, I think, in the next six to 12 months. They're going to stop attacking the infrastructure in the offices and they're going to start focusing on these cloud environments. <clears throat> So that's what we're seeing, man. It's it's unfortunate, but people aren't buying the right licenses. You got to buy if you're a business and you're thinking about moving to the cloud and you're looking at anything less than E3 or E5, you will have a cybersecurity problem down the road. That's my prediction. Right? And E3s and E5s are what? Not cheap, right? Right. Right. Everybody wants to go with the M365 or they want to do the exchange. I mean, I the amount of companies that I've come across in the last six months that are running exchange online mailboxes blows my mind. Like it blows my mind. They're like, oh, we're in the cloud. We're in Azure. And I look and I'm looking at their licensing and I'm going, oh my God. Like, how do you, how do you even start this conversation with somebody to like tell them, you know, read your, read your terms of service with Microsoft. They don't back up your data. They don't, they're not responsible for your data. Like you are. Right. They're just responsible for making it that mailbox is active and connected and, and you can connect into it and access it. That's they're responsible for uptime and availability. They don't care, you know, about your data security. Like that's all stuff that they put in our terms and service that that's on you to figure out. What they also don't tell you is what I mentioned is that you can't secure an exchange online mailbox. You can't back it up. It's just, you know, you can put archiving in place, but you can't buy a third party tool that backs up your environment. You have to have different licenses in order to have those integrations and have that visibility. Um, and that's what you lose when you buy a $3 mailbox. That's the difference between a $15 user and a $3 user. You get a lot more of um, capability to do the things that you need to do to protect and make sure that your data is backed up. Is that good enough? Did I school everybody on that? Because that's important yeah. shit. Yeah, I think that's going to be a big problem down the road. So, all right, guys, thanks for your input today. All right. Have a happy holiday. <laughs> you tell that See to you, IT man. guys in cybersecurity going into a yeah. three day weekend. Knock on wood, sir. Knock on wood. Yeah, and bring your laptop wherever you go. Right. Yeah, right. we will uh, we'll tell everybody what happened next week over yeah. over the holiday weekend. So, all right, guys, thanks for your input. We'll see you in the next episode. Everyone, take care. All right. Have a good one.